All right. How's everybody doing today? Thank you for not sleeping in. And after all that turkey and food and family and some of y'all traveled and thank you for not sleeping in, especially on a cold, rainy day like this. It's just I was like thinking this is a perfect day to just stay in, you know, um, Pastor Brad was too. I'm glad you guys didn't. Um, and hopefully you will feel the same way after we dig into God's word here in just a few moments. Uh, how many of y'all had a great Thanksgiving? You had great food, family time, watch some football. Some of y'all football, no. We don't love sports around here. That's okay. We love Jesus around here though. How many of y'all gave thanks to God this Thanksgiving? All right, good. That's what's most important. And for us Christians... Christians, Thanksgiving should be every day. We should be the most grateful, thankful, joyful, loving people on the face of the earth because of what Christ has done for us and who we, who we are in Him and all of His blessings, grace upon grace that have been lavished upon our lives like wave upon wave crashing over us. We've been so blessed and we have so much to give thanks for and we should never forget how blessed we are as Christians, how blessed we are in a nation where there is freedom to worship and serve God. Certainly not perfect, uh, but we have so much to give thanks to God for, even in the hard things. In everything, we're told to give thanks to God. Amen? Um, this morning, we are going to continue the Stronger series. Uh, Pastor Brad has been preaching a, a series called Stronger, and I loved how he started the series off with emphasizing how we're weak and God's strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. And when we acknowledge our need for God and how weak we are and invite his strength to come into our lives, it fits perfect and his strength works perfectly in our weakness. What a beautiful sermon that was. And this morning, I, uh, there was a couple of texts that I was considering preaching on and, and Pastor Brad and I both felt like this one would be a great one to emphasize where it specifically in Ephesians chapter 6 um, commands Christians, Paul commands the Christians in Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And so I want to spend some time trying to unpack that, why we should be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, what that looks like and how we can do that practically. Um, there's there's a little statement in the book of Acts. Our staff and pastors have been going through the book of Acts. Um, and we're in chapter 19 right now. Um, but we've just been working our way through the book of Acts every week on Tuesday mornings. And there's a little phrase that has come up a, a few times in the book of Acts. In chapter 14 it came up where Paul and Barnabas or Silas, his traveling companions, they're going and they're, they're on mission. And they're planting churches. They're preaching the gospel. They're evangelizing and then they go back and they visit these other churches, the churches that they've already been established, the churches that, where there's already Christians. And it says that they strengthen the souls of the disciples there. They strengthen the saints and they encourage them to continue in the faith. And that phrase just stands out to me because I, I see that that's exactly what, what, what Paul and what God wants for Christians, to be strengthened by him, God is strong and he gives strength and peace to his people. And how many feel weak today? I've been, for those of you who feel weak, like you've maybe had some struggles and 
maybe looking at the world, looking at your circumstances, your family or your finances or whatever, you know, and you just kind of feel weak and you need God's strength. Well, I've prayed that God would strengthen each of us here, especially those who are weak. And we want to have a prayer targeting those who are weak and who, who have hands that hang down and feeble knees. Those who are in Christ who need to be strengthened and built up. And so hopefully that will happen this morning. So I'm going to start with prayer and we're going to dig into Ephesians chapter 6. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word that is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And with it, God, we fight and we stand and we're strengthened, God. And thank you that you've given us your spirit to empower us and lead us into truth and to uh, do what you've called us to do. And this morning, I pray that strength would be imparted. That as Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, that the church would be strengthened in their inner man. I pray that you would make that happen this morning. That you would make that happen on the inside of your people this morning. As I proclaim your word, as I submit myself to your word and to your spirit, God, to be used by you. That you would impart grace and strength into your people. And that those who are weak and those who are weary would be refreshed and strengthened and empowered by you to be who you've called them to be and do what you've called them to do. Ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. The Apostle Paul says this. He writes this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the, the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand firm, having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having shod on, on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're commanded here in Scripture to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. First of all, I just want to ask why. Ask the question why. Because Paul tells us why. why. Why do we need to be strong? Why can't we just coast through life? We're Christians. We're saved. We're going to heaven. All is well with my soul. Right? Yes. 
Well, why can't we just take it easy and, and not worry about being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? Well, He tells us in this text that we have an enemy. We are in a battle. Christians, I don't know if you realize this, but we're not in a playground. We didn't get saved to be brought into a playground. But we've been brought into a battleground. There's a war going on between spiritual forces. And there's an invisible war that we can't see going on all around us. And there's also wars going around, going on that we can see. We do see some flesh and blood wars, some bombing and some attacks and terrorism. The rise of terrorism is striking fear in the hearts of many. And Satan desires to keep the people of God in bondage to fear. One of his schemes is to hold us down and paralyze us with fear, to keep us from engaging in the battle. So he has schemes, he has plans, he wants to hurt us, he wants to harm us, he wants to deceive us, he wants to discourage us, he wants us to disobey God like he deceived Eve from the very beginning. He wants us to doubt God's word and be led into disobedience and destruction. He wants to destroy us. So we have a real enemy, okay? Um, you know, C.S. Lewis says that there's two extremes here. There's two dangers when speaking about the reality of Satan and demons. Uh, he says, when speaking about the reality of Satan and demons, the danger is always twofold. To put way too much emphasis or to put way too little. To put way too much emphasis or to put way too little. See, we certainly don't want to be putting so much emphasis on the enemy that we're so afraid and we think there's a demon behind every bush that we're paralyzed in fear and that we're totally blinded to seeing the power and the glory and the beauty of God and what God's doing, right? We don't want to put too much emphasis on that. But we don't, want to, we don't want to put way too little either. We want to be biblical and balanced and acknowledge that we are in a war. There is a fight that we're engaged in. That we Christians have a part to play in. So we must be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. We need to stand our ground. There's a real enemy. There's a real war. So what does it mean to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. What does that look like? Well, first thing I want to point out is that as Paul was seeking to strengthen the Ephesians church, like he did with the other churches that he went and visited, he's writing this letter from prison, and he's seeking to encourage them and strengthen them and share gospel truth with them, he starts with their position in Christ. If we're going to be strong in the Lord... In the Lord, in the power of His might, we need to know who we are and what we have in the Lord, in Christ. You see, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul keeps using this term, in Christ, that in Him we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That in Him we have redemption through the blood of Jesus. We have um, we've been given forgiveness of our sins. We've been, the grace has been lavished upon us. In Him, we've obtained an inheritance. God's revealed His will to us, His will to us. He's given us, He's sealed us 
with the Holy Spirit. He's chosen us. He's predestined us. He's loved us. And we've been taken out of the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God. The, the, the kingdom of His beloved Son. We've been placed in Christ. And we have everything we need in Him. And I want to start this message off with the first point. Just saying that we must fight from this position. We don't fight for this position. We're already in this position, saints. Assuming that we're all Christians here. We may have some folks who aren't Christians yet. And if, if you're not, I urge you to become a Christian so that you can have the resources to fight the enemy. Because Satan wants to take you out. So our position in Christ, we fight from that place of victory. Christ has won the battle. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and he offered his life on the cross for you and I. He suffered and died, was buried, was raised from the dead. He defeated the grave. And Colossians 2 says he's disarmed the principalities and powers, having made a public spectacle of them. Jesus has won. And we stand in that victory. We fight from that place of victory in Christ. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but that excites me. Okay? It's not just me and the devil and me and the demons, or you and the devil and you and the world and the demons. We're in Christ and He's in us. He's delivered us. He's won the victory for us. And He says, stand firm in it. He says, be strong in Him, in the power of His might. We need to know our position in Christ if we're going to get victory over the enemy. Because Satan will come to you much like he did with Jesus and say, if you are the son of God, turn this rock into bread. He seems to challenge not only Jesus's appetite for food, but also his identity. If you are the son of God, prove yourself. If you are a child of God, Satan will attack us at our core, at our identity. And if we're going to be strong in the Lord, we need to know who we are in him. Amen. Is that clear? Y'all believe that? That's how the Apostle Paul starts strengthening and encouraging the church with their position in Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul's just talking about what Christ has done. God's grace lavished on us. He saved us. He's redeemed us. He's brought reconciliation between races, Jew and Gentile. He's, 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 He's brought victory over principalities and powers. He reigns and rules over them. And in chapter 4, Paul starts telling the church to walk out. Walk out who they are in Christ. So there's this progression here. I think, you know, he goes from we're seated in Christ and we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And then he starts telling the church in chapter 4, walk in unity, walk worthy, walk in wisdom, walk in the light, walk in love. So he tells them to walk it out. Look to your neighbor and say, walk it out. You got to walk it out. Okay, Christ has won the victory, and we fight from that place, but we have something to walk out as Christians. We need to walk out what it looks like to be a follower of Christ by the strength of God inside, living in, in us, the power of God working towards us and through us. And I'm so thankful that Paul, 
doesn't just leave it at that. That Christianity doesn't leave us to our merely our own resources to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and muster up enough willpower and discipline to be strong. But he, God meets us in our weakness, saves us in our weakness, and, and chooses to work through our weakness for his glory and for our good and the good of others. There is a power provided for us in Christ. So the next thing is we need to know God. We need to have a personal relationship with God. If we're going to be strong in the Lord, we need to know the Lord. We need our union with Christ and our intimacy with Christ helps us be strong in him. After Paul got done unpacking the possessions and our position in Christ in chapter one, he offers up a prayer. He prays for the saints. And and this is how uh, starting in verse 17, he starts in 15, but I'm going to read in 17 through 19 in the NIV. He says, I keep asking That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparable great power for us who believe. So Paul unpacks a little bit what Christ has done and how, how he, what he's done in our lives and how he's provided for us and who we are in him. And then he prays that we would get to know him better, that the Ephesian church would get to know God better. Because strength comes from knowing the one who is strong and mighty. Strength comes from spending time with this one who is almighty. He begins to rub off on you and his strength begins to be imparted into your life and grace and strength imparted into your life as you spend time coming before his throne of grace. As you spend time listening to his word. Any relationship requires communication. Okay? Communication. Speaking to and listening, right? If you want a good relationship, a strong, better relationship with anybody, you need to learn to listen. Right? Right, guys? Husbands, you need to learn to listen. God gave us two, two ears and one mouth for a reason. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. And you need to speak, though. You need to communicate your burdens, your desires, your fears, your concerns, your encouragements, affirmation, correction, even. And so we need that in any relationship. And Paul prayed that the Ephesian church would get to know God better. That's how we're strong in him. That's how we become strong in him, is getting to know him better. Look at what Daniel 11.32 says. It says, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. The ESV says, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Those who know their God find strength in him, find strength in coming to him in prayer, find strength in standing on his promises and standing on the victory that's already been provided for you and I. Do you know him? Do you have that kind of relationship with him that when you spend time with him, you're getting strength, 
You're getting encouragement. You're getting built up. You're getting edified so that you can strengthen the weak and help the weak and the broken and the hurting. You know, God doesn't want us to just be strong for our sake. He wants us to be strong for his glory and for the good of others. When his strength fits through our weakness and works through our weakness, he gets glory from that and other people get helped through that strength. We become conduits of the power and grace of God. What a privilege we have. But it starts with a personal relationship, knowing God and knowing who we are in him. If we're going to be strong in him. The next thing is the power of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, the strength of his might, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen again what Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. That, that they would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. We're told in Romans 8 that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives where? He lives in us. Just let that sink in, Selah. Pause. Just let that sink in for a moment. The same spirit, the same power and spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is power that works towards you and I who believe. We have tremendous resources at our disposal to stand in this fight, to stand in this battle. Paul goes on. He prays two prayers in Ephesians for the Ephesian church. This one in Ephesians chapter 1 and then in chapter 3, he also prays that God would grant them according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So through what or who does this, the, the strength and the power come? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who mediates the power of God into your life and my life. And we should welcome him. He is God, the third person of the Trinity. We should welcome his work and activity in our life and respond to his conviction, yield to his instructing and his guidance. If we are to be empowered by him, we need to be submitted to doing his will. God's given us his spirit and his power. As as I was thinking about this, And thinking about some guys in the book of Acts who tried to face demonic power in their own strength without a personal relationship with God and without the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. I thought about these seven sons of a priest named Sceva. And they saw Paul casting out demons and they thought, wow, this is cool. Let's try this out. And so they tried to cast out this demon, this demon from this demon possessed guy. And they said, we cast you out in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches. You know, how lame, you know, like they don't even know Jesus and they're just trying to use his name as a formula. We're going to fight you, devil, in Jesus' name. But they don't even know the Jesus they're talking about. They don't have a relationship with them. And so this demon-possessed guy beat them down, like whipped them. And like they ran off naked. They took off. I mean, interesting story. If you want to read it, it's in the book of Acts. Just start reading through the book of Acts. You'll find it. Read the whole story, okay? Just um, 
So we need, we need to know God personally. We need to have a personal relationship with God. If we're going to be strong and stand against the, the schemes of the enemy, we need to know the power of the Holy Spirit. Welcome the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a part that, that we play in this, in being strong. Ultimately, the big part belongs to God. Be strong in Him and the power of His might. It's not our own resources and mustering up our own strength. But we do have some action to take. Paul is calling the church to take action here in Ephesians. He's calling you and I to take action. And when we look at the world around us, when we look at terrorism rising, and we look at just horrible things happening in the news, it's very clear that we live in an evil day and there is a war going on around us. And it would be foolish and wasteful to just sit back and do nothing, to not engage, to not pray, to not be a light and reach out, to not know what's going on and, and, and be aware and alert of how the enemy is trying to destroy people and hurt people. We have a real enemy. So we need to know our position in Christ. We need to have a personal relationship with God. And we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life. i got five points today, by the way. That's just three. We'll go on to verse 11 for point number four. Paul has also, he's told us how to be strong in the Lord in the first part of the book. But also in this latter half, he tells us how to be strong here. Verse 11. He says, stand Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, he says, put on the armor of God, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So he tells us to put on the armor of God. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And he tells us what that is. So he tells us why and he tells us what that is. Okay. So he starts with the belt of truth. And by the way, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are known as the prison epistles. So when you read those and Paul saying something like, I, a prisoner of the Lord, writing you, just know that that wasn't just a metaphor. Paul was literally in prison. He was in jail. He was preaching the gospel, got in trouble. He was in jail. And he's writing as a prisoner. And there were probably Roman guards there. There were probably, there was probably a Roman soldier nearby that he could look at. And as he's writing, he's thinking, okay, here's a good analogy. Here's a good metaphor. Um, And this isn't, by the way, when Paul says put on the whole armor of God, this isn't the first time in this epistle that Paul's called the church to put something on. This isn't the first time he's called the church to to take action, to, to walk out, to walk in some responsibility, responding as Christians. He's told us in chapter four to speak the truth. He says, to speak the truth in love. He, t- he says, don't be deceitful. He says, put off the old man. Put off that old way of living. And he says, put on the new man who's been created according to righteousness and, and holiness. And so I think Paul's expounding here practically. Uh, he expounds back in chapter 4 practically what it looks like 
to put on the belt of truth. I don't think it's just objective truth, just biblical truth that we're to put on. I think there is a practical uh, practicing of truth, being truthful, being people of integrity. So you see the belt and the Roman armor helped hold everything together. We got a bunch of young people that walk around with no belt and their pants hanging down. And imagine if one of them tried to stand and fight in a battle. Okay, they wouldn't be very firm in their stance, right? So the belt is very important to hold, hold us together, right? The belt of truth. If you lose your integrity and your honesty with God and with other people, you're just falling apart and you're an open target to the enemy. Okay? Now, the truth that we walk in and the integrity we walk in is rooted in the tr- truth of Scripture, We live as Christians, truthful, honest, lives of integrity because God is truth. He commands us to love the truth, walk in the truth, speak the truth, embrace the truth. And so the truth we walk in is rooted in the objective truth of Scripture. So we're to put that on, to walk in that. Um, We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay. Now, Paul's already told, told us in chapter 4 what living righteous looks like for a Christian. He says, you know, hey, get, you know, get rid of anger, wrath, malice. In chapter 5, sexual immorality, uh, uncleanness. He goes on. He lists several things that we need to put off and, and then tells us how we should walk instead. And when we are not walking in righteousness, we open ourselves up to the enemy. Now, our righteousness, first, when we become a Christian, we are declared righteous before God. So we have imputed righteousness. God merits to our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, right? So we have that as a gift given to us, right? So positionally, but then in our practice, we too need to practice righteousness, we need to practice righteousness because we belong to him who is righteous. We've been made righteous by him and he lives in us. And that's what a child of God does. They practice righteousness. They love people. First John tells us that. And so we practice righteousness. That helps us have that breastplate of righteousness on. We need to have our shoes for shoes for our feet. Now, some of y'all love shoes, all right? You go shopping. Some of y'all got... So y'all got too many shoes. We got a clothes closet, by the way, back here. If you want to donate any of those shoes you haven't worn in the last year or two, you can donate those to the clothes closet and give them to other people who only have one pair. Um, my wife's not in here. She, I was looking for her. Um, so we're told to, as shoes, have this readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I love what Warren Wearsby says in his commentary about this. He says that, uh, the witnessing Christian is a victorious Christian. The witnessing Christian is a victorious Christian. If we lived life with this readiness to share the gospel, we would be less inclined to sin and less vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. Because we're like, we're ready. We're, we're in the battle. We're thinking, how can I share the gospel truth with somebody? But yet if we're thinking about our comfort and we're thinking about feeding our flesh, we make ourselves more vulnerable if we're more ready for, the, for comfort than we are for sharing the gospel, um, we make ourselves a target uh, and vulnerable to the target of the enemy. 
The gospel of peace, I love that little phrase. The gospel of peace brings peace with us and God and brings peace with us and uh, other people. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul unpacked the peace that we now have. Christ is our peace, and he's made peace between Jew and Gentile. You see, there's been this hostility, and, and there still is. Um, but when Christians become Christians, Christ deals with that racism and hostility in people's hearts, and he tears those walls down. Um, the gospel brings peace here and brings peace here. Amen? Amen. And we should let God, if, if, if that's an issue in our hearts, if, if we have racism and hostility towards any people or any people group, you need the gospel of peace to work in your heart and your life. If you have hostility in your marriage, you need the gospel of peace to, to work in your heart and in your life and bring peace to your marriage. The gospel does that. brings peace with God. First, righteousness. We become right. Therefore, being made righteous by faith, we have peace with God. Romans 5.1. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God. Next is the shield of faith. Take the shield of faith. This is very important. Why do we need to take the shield of faith? This is basic for the Christian. Okay, this is basic Christianity. The Christian lives by faith. We've been justified by faith, right, when we came into a relationship with God. But then we continue to live in faith and stand in the promises, the promises and the truth of God's word. We stand in faith. And what it does is it quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. Satan wants to shoot deceitful, doubtful thoughts our way and get us to believe those lies. But we must take the shield of faith, standing on the word of God, believing his word with the shield of faith, quenching those fiery darts. The next is the helmet of salvation. We must put on the helmet of salvation. Now, we've already been saved, those of us who are Christians, right? The Bible says we've been saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. So there's one sense where we, we have salvation already, right? But yet we're still looking for to God for salvation. And there's specific instances where we need salvation. And just simply put, we need deliverance. Like when I was driving in India through on a mountain. I was on a short-term mission trip in India. And we're driving on a mountain. And the driver was driving crazy. And there's two roads there. And I'm like praying. My prayer life is growing as I'm on this little trip. And there's two big trucks. They're passing each other. There's only two lanes. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is it. I'm about to meet Jesus. I put my feet up and said, Jesus! I cried out to Jesus for salvation right there. For deliverance right there in that specific circumstance. And you know what? I'm here, right? He obviously answered my prayer. And we came so close. I mean, I just like watched it so close. I mean, I thought, this is it. I'm going to heaven. Keith Dollar died in India, you know, they found my body Um, and he delivered me and we need the helmet of salvation. It's interesting, too, that this helmet goes. I mean, it's a helmet. It protects what your head, your mind. If You get hit in the head, you're out. And and this this is where a majority of spiritual warfare takes place. There are high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. 
There are lies and ideologies and philosophies that the enemy uses to pollute, to deceive, to destroy, discourage people. And we must have the helmet of salvation on. We must know that we are saved, that we're being saved and we will be saved. And that when we call on the name of Jesus, we'll be saved. He'll deliver us. Even if we don't get to live for another 15, 20, 30 years, we're going to be saved and be with him in heaven, right? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be delivered. So we need to put on the whole armor of God. There's action for us here. And so I think there's twofold, and a lot of the commentators that I read on this would emphasize that. There's one part where we're receiving what's already been provided for us, but there's also action for us to take in this battle. Okay? We've already been made righteous, and we have righteousness, but then we need to practice righteousness and live in righteousness. And lastly, we have the sword of the Spirit, which is an offensive weapon as well as a defensive weapon. We have the sword of spirit, which is what, church? It's the word of God. How well have you gripped this word and allowed this word to grip you and master you and know this word? I mean, the Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance all that we've heard and learned and studied, right? I mean, if we're not learning and hearing and and, and depositing in truth from Scripture then we don't give a lot of artillery, artillery for the Spirit of God to work with. Of course, he could teach us something out of nowhere if he wanted to, but he, he uses this word, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit leads us into this truth, and we fight against the enemy with the truth of this word. Jesus himself did this. In Matthew 4, if you want to see Jesus' encounter with the enemy, Satan tempts him after being... Fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would be too. And he gets tempted. And that's, by the way, you know, when we're vulnerable, when we're weak, and uh, a lot of times where the enemy comes, he's looking for an opportune time. He left, after Jesus won, he left him and was looking for an opportune time to come back. But each time Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. And Jesus didn't have a concordance to be like, where did it say man does not live by bread alone, but by every word? He knew it. He studied it. He treasured the word of God in his heart. So when the enemy came to tempt him and attack him, he pulled out the sword of the spirit and spoke the word of God. It is written. Have you allowed the word of God to be invested in your heart and your life and your mind Enough to where you can fight. Do you have any scripture memorized that you could just pull up? Like if, if you were, if you physically weren't strong enough to read it and no one was around, is there anything up there in here that you can pull out? If you're tempted and fight against the enemy, we need to store this and treasure this word in our heart. Take up the sword of the spirit. So we've been given this armor. Last point, how are we strengthened? How, do, how can we be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? Very simple, prayer. Prayer is a very practical means for us to be strengthened. Jesus told his disciples, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Prayer is a means for us to be strengthened, but it's also a, it's a means that we engage in the battle. It's, it's the essence of spiritual warfare, or a big part of spiritual warfare. There's also 
speaking the word of God, proclaiming the word of God. But prayer is huge. Paul goes on in verse 18. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul says, always be praying and pray in the spirit. And I don't think he's just talking about praying in tongues here. Paul uses that phrase in first Corinthians referring to praying in tongues. But he's, I think he's referring to spirit led and directed prayers that line up with the will of God. Every Christian can do that. Every Christian who has the Holy Spirit living inside them can pray in the spirit with the power of the spirit directed and energized by the spirit. I love Romans eight twenty six where it says we don't know how to pray as we ought to, but the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses with groanings which cannot be uttered. He makes intercession for us according to what? The will of God. So pray in the spirit. We need to be people of prayer. Paul said in Ephesians 3, 12, that we have access. We have in him, we have access. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So through the blood of Jesus, we now have this open access where we can go to God and bring our burdens our concerns, our desires to God in prayer, our fears. Imagine for a moment, just imagine if there was somebody on the place of this on earth and he or she was the most powerful person in the world. They were the most powerful, most wise, most loving, most wealthy person in the whole world. And you had a relationship with them. Not just a relationship, but a good relationship with them. So when you came to them, you didn't have to worry about them being too busy or irritable or worry about them despising you and your request when you come to them. Okay, it's hard to imagine that because I don't know anybody that in, that's alive that actually fits that description other than Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, God himself. And just think about this, saints. We have access to that person. And he is alive. We have confidence to go to him with every concern, every fear, every desire, every burden. And bring that request to him. And he delights to release resources of wisdom, strength, wealth when needed, power when needed, wisdom and understanding, love. Paul actually prayed that. The church in chapter 3, that the church would really get it, that they would know how much God loves them. Because we miss it. God loves us so much. And we need the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and help us to know how much the Father loves us. I mean, just think, if you had access like that, you would use it, right? Why don't we do that with prayer? Why don't we come before God more frequently, more boldly, more earnestly, with confidence that he hears us and he will answer us and things will change in our lives, in our families, in this world as a result of us praying. God's ordained that his kingdom come and his will be done through prayer. Your prayers and my prayers. And we shouldn't just pray for us. We shouldn't just do spiritual battle, engage in the battle just for us. We should be 
mature enough where we walk in victory, where we, where we get out of these habits and we start getting victory, where we're freed up to fight for other people who are held captive by the enemy. And when we're freed up to not just pray about ourselves, but pray for other people, for all the saints, like the Syrian refugees who are displaced and homeless right now, like the persecuted church that are, they're losing their lives. Being killed. We should pray for ISIS. The Apostle Paul, who wasn't always the Apostle Paul, was once Saul, was like ISIS. He was like an ISIS member. He was persecuting the church. Killing Christians. Wreaking havoc on the Christian church. And I just wonder, it doesn't say this in the book of Acts, but I just wonder... If there were some Christians who took Jesus' words to heart to love their enemies and pray for those who misused them. I just wonder if there were some Christians crying out, have mercy on Saul, save him, open his eyes. And Jesus heard that prayer and knocked him off of his horse. Literally. And saved him and he became... One of the greatest apostles and wrote much of the New Testament and God turned evil for good. I just wonder if there were some Christian prayers involved in that work. We know at least there was Ananias who came afterwards and prayed for him. That brother Saul would receive his sight. God uses prayer. And that's how we engage in the battle church. We engage in the battle. How do we, how do we fight? How do we engage our fights not against flesh and blood? Everybody doesn't need to go get a gun. Although I'm not advocating that you don't have one for protection. But that's not how we're gonna fight. That's not how we're gonna win this spiritual fight. This fight's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. And the strength of a gun may kill somebody, may stop somebody, but the Word of God, the Gospel can save somebody for eternity if you learn how to use it, if you know it, and become equipped with it and speak it. And people like Saul of Tarsus become the Apostle Paul by the grace and mercy of God. So let's pray, saints. Let's close in prayer. If you're here and you're weak, you're discouraged, And you need strength from God. I just want you to raise your hand and the saints are going to gather around you and pray for you. If you are weak and you need strength. Okay? Those who have their hands up. Those around those who have their hands up. Let's pray. Let's lift up our brothers and sisters. Let's strengthen the souls of the saints. Courage. Pray for them. Those of you sitting down, just let's, let's pray. Let's just engage in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we have victory. Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. And God, I pray that we would walk out that victory. That in our lives, that would be translated in our thinking, speaking, and acting. In our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, that we would be strong so that we can support those who are weak. 
so we can speak the truth to those who are deceived, so we can lovingly communicate the truth. 